Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you as back last week, but uh, it is great to be back and settled. Good to have Jane back uh, with me, and and uh, I, I am grateful to be back preaching again this morning. And uh, I just wanted to mention a few. Uh, we've had these out, but maybe you haven't seen. But some prayer requests. We've had a number of our family. Um, as a number of you will know, have lost loved ones. Uh, Jackie Mitchell's sister, Judy, died um, uh, a week and a half or so ago. The funeral was last Saturday. Dawn Crossan's father passed away, and uh, she's on her way right today to Idaho. Right, Phil? Uh, for that funeral. Um, Ron Berger's brother, we mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, and and as we mentioned, Jane's mom also. So be praying for the families. We got word, Marsha, your brother was has been in critical condition. Is I, I talked to him on the Oh, praise God. Good. All right. Well, amen. So there's great improvement there. We're glad for that uh, opportunity as well. Um, so the, the needs for prayer are always there. And uh, you continue to pray for one another. I just want to say thank you. Uh, for the many cards and letters we've received and, and meals and all those kinds of things was Jane was gone. Um, I think you folks helped me to gain weight. Um, so uh, thank you uh, for your love and care in that regard. So do you remember Sunday, March 1st of 2020? You go, wow, I can't even remember Sunday, March 1st of 2023, right? Well, you, you might think about it. You might, as you give that some thought, um, three years ago, you would probably have your mind drift to the thoughts of COVID, right? I mean, uh, it was certainly gaining momentum at that point, uh, but that's not what I'm thinking of. It was Thursday, November 13th of 2020, when President Trump declared a national emergency uh, for our country as a result of the COVID, and uh, our nation was immediately plunged into the pandemic. All kinds of policies were established uh, to stop the loss of life that was taking place at an alarming rate in our country and around the world. We saw all the statistics, heard all the news, people were dying and the world dropped everything we were doing in view of what was happening with COVID. Well, on Sunday, March 1st of 2020, we introduced to you the Who's Your One campaign. Some of you, if you were here three years ago, might remember that. And it was a strategy to challenge our church to intentionally identify one individual, one person to, uh, who, you, who did not know Jesus, one person who was not a follower of Jesus, and, and, and that you would make a commitment as you identified that individual in your life to do all that you could to introduce that one to Jesus Christ. Well, we, uh, we had you identify that individual, and then at the end of the service that Sunday morning, we invited you to put the name on a card, and I think you were handed cards as you came in this morning, 
And uh, it was a card that, that who's your one, and you wrote the name on there. And at the end of the service, we had you come up and put those on that cross with these red pins. And uh, that cross has been here in the auditorium for a while. In fact, it was over there in the corner. And then I think before the Thanksgiving Christmas season, we moved it down to the family room with everything else going on in the auditorium. And it was there. And as we have been working through the whole process of our mission and what we are called to do, uh, we are at the end of the strategy, is studying, reviewing the strategy for the mission of Heritage Baptist Church. And uh, we challenged you three years ago about the pray, invest, invite in that one individual who does not know Jesus Christ and that you would be ready to do all you could to reach that one, to help that one come to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, quick review then, where we've been in the last month or so with our mission. We've said this, our mission, a strategy, our game plan for accomplishing our mission, of course, which is to make more people more like Jesus. And uh, as we have that, we said we would do that. And, and in order to fulfill that mission, uh, we would uh, encourage each other, help each other to grow up in our relationship with God. We call that worship. And we talked about what that looked like, to grow deep in our relationship with our community, with one another, with our church. That's what we're talking. And then to grow out in our relationship with the world. That's outreach. And Scott, a couple of weeks ago, talked about that, preached a message on that. Do you remember? Reconciliation and dealt with that. And we're going to wrap this up today as we talk about what it is that we need to do if we're going to grow out in our relationship with people who do not know Jesus Christ. Because we must grow out in our relationships with the world. This is all about developing intentional relationships, intentional relationships with those who do not know Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? That's always, okay, how do we do that? And so as we think that through, how do we develop intentional relationships with the world, with people who do not know Jesus we're going to look at that this morning as we wrap up our study of uh, our mission and the strategy to accomplish that mission. So if you would open your Bibles with me, please, to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Um, if you don't have a Bible and uh, a phone or a tablet with a Bible app uh, underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible close at hand, and in that Bible, page 823. Page 823, if you want a hard copy, it's there. Colossians chapter 4, verses uh, 2 through 6, we're going to take a look at this morning. So follow with me as I read. We'll have it on the screen. Uh, you can follow in your own Bibles, but let me read for you. Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 
Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So as we talk about that this morning, as we look at this business of growing out in our relationship with the world, with people who do not know Jesus Christ, as we talk about developing intentional relationships with individuals who don't know Jesus, Paul gives us three essentials, I think, in, this ver- in these verses, three essentials for developing those intentional relationships, and we're going to look at those this morning. So, essential number one, pray persistently. If we're going to reach people for Jesus Christ, if we're going to be able to tell them about the mystery, Tim Vermilia talked last Sunday about the mystery of the gospel, and if we're going to tell them about the message that Jesus Christ died in their place for their sins on the cross, that he was buried and rose again, proving he was the Son of God, the one who could forgive our sin. We are going to need to be praying persistently for those individuals. It's not just going to happen. And Paul talks about that. Prayer is necessary. He mentions it three times in verses 2, 3, and 4. Three times in these three verses, if we're going to grow out in our relationships with people who need Jesus, we will have to pray. It's clear. It is not an option for growing out. It must be a priority in our lives. Prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Right there in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. The idea of continuing to do something with intense effort. That's devotion. When we devote ourselves to prayer, we recognize that we've got to do it continually. We've got to put, we've got to be all in if we're going to pray. It can't be just a once in a while thing. We can't let it get routine. He says we've got to devote ourselves to prayer. And that devotion at times may be despite difficulty. Maybe despite a, a, a time in your life when you don't feel like praying. When you're, when you're depressed, when you're discouraged, when you're just simply down and prayer is the last thing you think about. But let me encourage you, when we pray, understand that we're talking to God. It's not just any old conversation. It's not just, well, I know that's what I'm supposed to do and then I get up in the morning or before I go to bed at night and I'm supposed to pray and all that kind of a thing. And, and that's hard. No, it's like we make an intentional effort to do that, devoted to prayer. Jesus told Peter, along with the disciples, the night before he was crucified in the garden, remember Peter, James, and John, and he said, you stay here and pray while I go and pray. And what, what did they do? They fell asleep. And Peter came, and Jesus came back and said to the three, hey, you got to stay awake. You got to pray. And he looked right at Peter and he said, Peter, you must pray. He said, you must watch and pray because the spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. You got to stay at it. You got to be devoted. It takes tenacity. Down a few verses right here in Colossians chapter 4. Look at verse 12. 
as, as Paul is summing up his letter, bringing it to a conclusion to the church in Colossae, he says there in verse 12 of uh, Colossians chapter 4, he says, Epaphras, one of his teammates, one of those on his mission team, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Look at this. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Why in the world would he say wrestling in prayer? Because it's not easy. It's, I mean, it's tough work, right? For those of you who say, I, I'm, I need to really develop my prayer life, but heaven, you know it's work. And it's, you, you get a list and you determine you're going to do it, and then the alarm doesn't go off. Or you go to bed too late at night and you sleep through the alarm. And, and, and it's work. Wrestling in prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. We're talking continual, unwavering, intense commitment to praying for people who do not know Jesus. You may sometimes wonder, well, why is it that I don't have the opportunity to enter into conversations with people about my faith in Christ? How, how is it that I don't get to have those kinds of conversations? And maybe you're not praying. Maybe you're not asking God to open doors because that's what Paul says we need to pray for. He says, pray that God may open a door for our message. Now think about this. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those four letters right here in, in this part of the Bible are what we call prison epistles. We call them prison epistles because Paul's in prison when he's writing them. And so he's in prison. And he's, he's asking the churches to pray. He, he's writing to the church at Colossae. He's saying, pray for me. But this is what he says. He doesn't say, look at it there. Verse um, 3, he says... Um, and pray for us, too, that God may open the door of this jail cell and let me go. You're going, wait a minute, what translation is that? <laughs> no, that's not what Paul prays. Look, he says, pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message. Paul recognizes that if he's not praying and if people aren't praying... God's not going to open the doors of, of a person's heart to the message of Jesus Christ. Those of you who went on the men's retreat this past November, you remember Pastor Ron Barris? Folks, we had him in church here that Sunday morning. And he challenged us that we need to pray for people who don't know Jesus. Do you remember what he did, men? Remember it? Pray for open doors, open hearts, and that God would open our mouths. Remember that? That's in essence what Paul's praying here. We need to pray that God would open the door for the message of the gospel, for the message, the mystery. Look, that's what he says there as he moves on. Verse 3, he says, For the message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. That's the message that he wants. Well, what is that? That Jesus Christ died. That he died in our place. That he died for our sin. Because it is our sin that will send us to hell. Not a very popular message but true 
And we need to pray that God opens the hearts of people, opens doors so that we can tell them that Jesus died for them, died so that their sin could be forgiven, so that they could have a relationship with God, so they would no longer have to be enemies of God but could become a child of God. That's how Paul's saying. You pray that God opens doors. Listen, Acts chapter 14 and verse 27, and we could look at any number of passages throughout the Bible, but this is what Paul was summing up his missionary journey. He'd been to Antioch and Iconium and a number of other cities, and he'd come back and he's reporting to Antioch, and he's on arriving there. This is just Acts 14, 27. You check out the context to see what's going on. But on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them. They were out traveling around on their missionary journeys, on their trips where they would go from town to town to town to tell people about Jesus. That God had done this through them and how he had what? Opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. God is the one who opens doors. God is the one who opens hearts. We can't force our way in. And if you've ever had a conversation with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and you've tried to talk to them about what the Bible says and they're just absolutely not interested, they won't give you the time of day, God has to open their hearts. And Paul's acknowledging that. You could check Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. You could check 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. I'll leave that to you to do later on. Part of your homework, right? Community groups, dig into those and see the importance that God is the one who opens doors. It's about the sovereignty of God. What do we mean by that? That God is in control of everything. God has planned everything in your life and mine. Whether you know God or not, whether you even want to acknowledge God or not, God's in charge. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. God is completely, sovereignly in control. Period. And it's critical. That's what Paul was acknowledging. And we must pray to that God. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly. Yes, it's about revealing the mystery that he's talking about so that it would be made known. It's, it's yes, that's what he's asking. But really, when he says, pray that I would, he's really saying that I would fulfill my responsibility to make, make the message of the gospel known to people who need it. That's what it's about. Yes, we need to know the gospel. But do you realize that many times people don't, people are hesitant to share Jesus with people because the, the fear, there's a fear that, well, somebody might ask me a question and I don't know if I have all the answers. And, and if I can't answer the question, then uh, I'll look stupid and, and, I, and they'll then think, see, he doesn't really know what he believes. And folks, listen, we don't have to be able to answer every difficult question to share the gospel. We don't have to be able to answer, we don't have to have, to have all the knowledge of everything in the Bible to be able to tell somebody about what Jesus Christ has done in your life. If you know Jesus, if you trusted him as Savior to forgive your sins, if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, we're only a couple of weeks away from Easter Sunday, that Jesus died, that he was buried according to the Scriptures, and that he rose again on the third day, and he did that to provide forgiveness for our sin. 
And if you're saved, if you believe that, guess what? That's all you need to tell somebody. The idea here is that we have to recognize our responsibility to do that. I think the real issue with evangelism, with outreach, with sharing what you believe about Jesus really has to come down more to not what you know or don't know, but it's just a willingness to do it. That's why we pray that God opens doors. And if you begin to pray that way, with an individual in mind, God will open doors. If you just begin to pray that way, you will be amazed at how many opportunities. You're not even thinking about it, and boom, right, right in front of you, somebody says, hey, you're one of those religious people. Can you tell me about God? Now, it won't always be like, like that, right? But you'll be amazed at how many opportunities God will bring your way when you are praying and ready and willing to go. He then says, okay, uh, we need to pray persistently, but secondly, we need to walk wisely. Walk wisely. We're not just talking about, you know, mountain climbing, hiking, and you're over some path that overlooks a cliff that if you take one wrong step, you're a goner. We're not talking walking wisely. The term walk in the Bible is used for the way we live, our behavior. So he says you need to act in a way. Look at it, verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Outsiders, wow. Who's that? Well, Paul's talking to the church in Colossae. He's talking to the people who are outside of the church, those who don't know Jesus. He's saying we need to live wisely before people. We need to be wise in the way we act to people who do not know Jesus. Wisely living a life in light of God's truth. That's what he's saying. If we claim to know Jesus, we need to live what the Bible says. We can't tell somebody about Jesus and throw the Bible to the wind. It doesn't work that way. Nobody's going to believe what you say if they don't see it lived in your life. That's part, and that's what Paul's saying. He says, we need, you need to be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. You know, Paul says it back in Ephesians. He says, we need to be wise because the days are evil. We are living. These are rough, to evil days. If Paul said that back then, right, like 2,000 years ago almost, What's it like today? Well, we sometimes think it's worse than ever. Well, I'm not sure. It's been pretty bad back then forever because the days are evil. Paul said it back then. It's certainly still true today. And as a result of that, we need to live out what the Word of God says for us. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a nice option. It's what God says needs to be true of the way we live if we want to let people see the reality of Jesus Christ in our life. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Literally, you, you are to be wise in the way you act toward outsiders by making the most of every opportunity. That making the most means that we're buying up the time. We're buying up, we're using the opportunities that God brings our way. And we're looking for the opportune time, the right time. You've heard it said, timing is everything. 
right? We're looking for that right timing, the opportunity, because we've been praying that God would open the door. And we've been living our life in a way that somebody's going to see, and I'll say more about that in a minute, but somebody's going to see something different about us. And so what is the most effective time, the most effective opportunity, the most productive time to make the gospel known? And as we do that, we live wisely. People are going to look at us and want to know why are you different? Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. We preached through there uh, man, ages ago, but I think it was only a year and a half or two. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22 and 23. To the weak, Paul says, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Paul's saying I am willing to do whatever is necessary to tell people about Jesus. It's real easy to look at somebody who doesn't know Jesus and look at their lifestyle and be all upset and ticked off and we want to tell them about the why they should stop doing this, 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 and this, a whole list of things, the dirty dozen or the naughty nine, all those things of lists of sins that we see in people who don't know Jesus. Guess what? That's not the problem. The problem is they need Jesus. And sometimes we get all, what do you mean? You, you're, you believe in abortion? You believe in this, you believe in that, and, and we get hung up on arguing. What do I mean? You voted for who? And we get all wrapped up in these things. Guess what? I don't care who you voted for. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. And he's saying we need to make the most of the opportunities. Forget about all that stuff. We will be all things to all people. Why? So that by all means, we might save some. We might be involved in sharing Jesus so people can trust Christ. Ed Stetzer in his book, Lost and Found, said this, for many, church evangelism, outreach, has been focused on bringing friends to church. It is essential that churches focus on more than invitations. The focus needs to be incarnational. Going and living among people who are far from God. I've, I've, I've told Newton a number of you. You've heard me say it probably even from this pulpit. I, I can get lost in the church bubble. I can walk in here on, on any morning and be here all day long and do our thing here and talk with Mitch and Scott and Sylvia and Pete and whoever else comes in and out and, and be in the church bubble 24-7. How am I ever going to get in touch with people who need Jesus if I do that? That's why I go to the gym. Aside from the fact that I need to take care of my body, right? But Paul says, yeah, but bodily exercise only is a good for a little. Godliness is what matters. But I need to go and be with people who don't know Jesus so that they can see God in me. I've said it this way. Somebody said, well, hey, why don't you go across the street to CSU's gym? You can go over to the gym. It's a lot cheaper. And, 
And, and, and there's, yeah, I mean, people you might know over there. And I say, because I don't need to be with more Christian people all the time. I need to be with people who don't know Jesus. I need to be somewhere where I hear the F word on a regular basis. You go, what? <laughs> and, and then when they talk that way, I'm, hey, wait a minute. You know what? You shouldn't talk that way. Well, guess what? They might stop, but they still need Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I need to be, I need to walk wisely. I need to be involved in the lives of people who don't know Jesus so I can tell them that Jesus died for them in their sin and their sin could be forgiven and they can be saved. They can be forgiven. Their lives can be changed and they can be given eternal life. Though we need to talk tactfully, number three. Talk tactfully. Look at it, verse six. Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace. Always full of grace. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Full of grace. Seasoned with salt. I, I, I think one word, what's Paul really driving at? And, and I thought of the word tactful. Tact is a sensitivity in dealing with others or with difficult issues. Sensitivity when you're talking to people about difficult subjects. Politics, religion, right? The hot button issues in our society today. We need to talk tactfully. In, in, we need to have a keen sense of what to do or to say in order to maintain a good relationship with that. It's often been said, you can have an argument with somebody and you might win that argument, but you'll lose the war. Because again, the argument isn't about their sin or about their lifestyle, if it's anti-Bible or anti-God. What needs to happen in their lives is they need Jesus. That's the problem. And we need to say, I need to talk in a way that I continue to be able to have a conversation with somebody. Let your conversation be always full of grace. The way we talk should demonstrate our likeness to Jesus. They should see the character of Jesus in us. They should see his love, his patience. They should see kindness. They should hear from our mouths gentleness, goodness, joy, peace, and on and on I could go. We need to ask ourselves, how would Jesus say it? How would Jesus, if we're talking about being more like Jesus, how would Jesus respond? And we need to talk that way. Seasoned with salt. Salt makes things tasty. I know some people aren't salt people, right? I get it. But salt is intended to add flavor to food, right? And if you've ever had unsalted food, and unless you're used to it, you go, wow, that is so boring, right? On the other hand, it can't be too much because that will make it taste really bad. And, and, and salt makes it taste it's seasoned with salt not poured all over it and we need to be careful in our saltiness that we that we go beyond just being interesting and we get obnoxious we need to recognize it gives speech it gives life to our speech it makes us not boring adding salt talking about 
what's going on in the world without picking a fight. Ephesians 4.29, Paul says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, right? But only what is helpful for, look at this, building others up, not yourself, building others up according to their needs. Do you ever find yourself talking to somebody and you just want to make your point because you want them to hear you? It may not be what they need, right? And, and, but only what is helpful for building others. It may not build them up. It may build you up because you're proving how smart you are, how, how much you know about a topic or a subject. And Paul is saying, hey, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but make sure it's meeting their needs. What is it that people around you need to hear? Talk that way, not just to be heard. And as we talk about that, that's what Paul is saying, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The objective there, and one writer put it this way, is to cultivate a sensitivity to each individual, each person without Jesus that you come into contact with so as to be able to meet their objections and show how the gospel can meet their needs. It's speaking individually to the need of each individual that we talk to. Remember, we're speaking to people outsiders. We're speaking to people who, who don't know the language, who, who don't speak Christianese. We're speaking to people who who don't know the secret handshake, right? And it's critical that we understand when we're talking to people that we talked with them in a way we know how to answer everyone. And again, that doesn't mean that we have to have all the answers to all the hard questions that people want to ask about the Bible. That's not what Paul's saying. Implied is knowing how to answer or implied that somebody is going to ask for an answer from you is that they ask that question. Someone is asking the question, right? That's what we're, if it says, be ready to answer, that's what 1 Peter 3.15 says. But if we have to know how to answer everyone, if somebody is asking you a question, are they looking at your life and is there anything in our lives by the way we live, by the way we talk that is going to make somebody ask a question about Jesus? Do they see something different in our behavior, in our walking wisely? A.W. Tozer, we talked about his book back at the beginning when we looked at worship, his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, but he says this, the people of God ought to be the happiest people in the world. People should be coming to us and asking the source of our joy and delight. How's that? We live in such a way that we just ooze and overflow with joy and the peace of God. And people look at us and they've watched us and they go, why are you like that? How can you respond that way? Didn't you hear what they said? Didn't you see what they did? How can you be that way? And we say, it's Jesus. He's changed my life. And here's how. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6 is really pray, invest, invite. 
We, we, we've talked about that often, our outreach strategy. Pray, invest, invite. When we talk about growing out in our relationship with the world, here's what that looks like as we talk about how do we do that. I think we have that slide. There it is. We start by praying by name for people without Jesus. We refer to it sometimes as P-I squared. P-I-I. P-pray by name for people without Jesus. Invest time in people without Jesus. And then invite people to become followers of Jesus. As you ask God to lay on your heart that one person that you can pray about, that God would open the door to their heart so that you can tell them about Jesus. That's what, that's what we're talking about here. Praying by name. Not God bless all the people in the world who don't know Jesus. Well, you can do that. But the idea is you find somebody that you know a name of someone that you know and you pray for them. Then you begin to build that intentional relationship with them because they need to know Jesus. And it does take intentionality. We have to determine that we're going we're gonna to be a friend to people who need Jesus. You're going to have to determine that when you're out mowing your lawn and you see your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus mowing his lawn, that maybe... I know you got to get your grass cut, but maybe it's great to go over and just have a conversation, figure it out. But we have to intentionally decide how that's going to happen. And then that gives us the opportunity as we begin to intentionally build that relationship to invite them to coffee or to lunch or to breakfast or to your home or, or to a barbecue on your back deck once it gets warm, Right? Invite them to your home. Invite them to your church. Invite them to an activity. Easter Sunday is coming up. People are much more open at Easter than any other time of the year. Christmas is great. Invite them to an Easter serve, our Easter service, uh, Easter Sunday morning. Ultimately, maybe to invite them to a conversation about how they can know Jesus Christ. And as we think about that, I started out by talking with you about March 1st, 2020. And um, how that at that time in our world, what COVID did to our world and, and what we did because people were dying and what we, and we didn't want COVID, right? We didn't want to die. There was a fear because people did die. What about those who are dying every day? Not because of COVID, but because they don't know Jesus. What about people that die, have been dying, will die, who don't know Jesus? What are we willing to do to reach them? What are we willing to do right now? What are we willing to change? What are we willing to sacrifice? Because more people are dying from their sin without Jesus than are dying because of COVID. So who's your one? You're given a card. Who's your one? When you think of someone far from God and someone who does not know Jesus, who's the first person who comes to mind? That's the person that you should begin to pray about and say, this is my one. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invest and I'm going to invite. Is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? 
Is it a classmate? Is it a teammate? Is it a coach? Is it a teacher? Is it a doctor? Is it your neighbor? Is it a relative? Somebody that you know, when you say, who doesn't know Jesus? Who does God bring to your mind? That's your one. And you determine, I'm going to pray that God will use me in their lives to help them to come to know Jesus. Imagine if every follower of Jesus at Heritage could answer that question, who's your one, with the name of a person who doesn't know Jesus. Name of a person that you're willing to pray for, that you're willing to seek, pursue, hopefully to give them the gospel, tell them about Jesus. And if we were willing to do that, how do you think that might change our community? How do you think that might change our church? How do you think that might change northeastern Pennsylvania? It doesn't matter how many programs we as the church have. It doesn't matter how many community groups. It doesn't matter how many dollars we give. It doesn't matter how many sermons we preach. If we are not intentionally reaching, doing everything so that lost men, women, and children will hear about Jesus and experiencing the transforming, life-changing work of Jesus Christ. So I would ask you this morning, who's your one? Now, just like three years ago, we had you write down on this card and we actually gave you, we thought we were going to give you three weeks, but we only had two because on March, Sunday, March 15th, the only people in this auditorium were Scott, excuse me, <clears throat> Pastor Scott, <laughs> Pastor Paul, myself, Chris, I don't know if you were back there at the sound booth. Or I don't know who was on the camera, but there were about four or five of us in this auditorium. That was it. So we're going to do this morning, give you an opportunity to say, who's my one? And write it on this card. And in just a minute, we're going to sing. And while we're singing, if you have the name of somebody God's put on your heart and you're willing to, to say, this is my one. Now you may say, hey, you took all those cards off. I did. And so if you're still praying for that one, then put their name back on and stick it back on the cross. And we've got the, the red pins here, and they'll be available. I've got a few pens up here. But if you're interested, and again, this is, you know, I, I was praying this morning before the service with our guys, and it's like, you know what, sometimes when we talk about outreach, we talk about this kind of thing, there's, there's a real guilt that takes over. Folks, don't do anything this morning out of guilt. Let the Spirit of God move your heart about the need of somebody who needs Jesus. That's why we need to be praying for that one. If you want to put up more, we got more cards. We'll have them available. Pete's got some cards, and we'll have them here. We've got the tax. And, uh, and even next week or during the week, if you want to do that, the opportunity isn't just limited to this hour. We want to be praying for people who need Jesus, that God would use us. Who's your one? Let me pray. 
and then we're going to give you that opportunity while we're singing. And uh, you can make your way right up to the cross. You, sometimes you have to push a little hard. That's hard wood there, all right? And, uh, but it'll go. Let me pray. Father, there are people all around us who don't know Jesus. There may even be people sitting here this morning in this auditorium who never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. God, I pray that you touch their heart. Father, I pray that you'd stir our hearts to be concerned about people who we know and love and care about who do not know Jesus. God, help us to think of that one that we can pray for, that we can invest in, and that one day may be invite to know Jesus. Father, not because of guilt or any other reason that would motivate us, but for the glory of God and for the, for the need of lost people to experience the forgiveness of sin that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. Stir our hearts, God, that we'd be growing out in our relationship with the world, for it's in Christ's name I pray.